0: Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Alright, so I am sitting here and I am talking to Tyler Winter. And uh, Tyler, for everybody listening, can you go ahead and introduce yourself so we can get to know you a little better?
1: Yeah. Um, thanks for having me here. I am a founding member and a director of the uh, nonprofit Native Fish for Tomorrow. Uh, and we're a consumptive conservation organization um, that's particularly focused on uh, our native warm water, for the most part, species. Um that have been historically maligned as rough fish or junk fish, or um, a lot of every state has their own own title, uh, some sort of uh, derogatory category. Um, but we're focused on working with these native fish because it's like the it's the lowest hanging conservation fruit, like it's the lowest hanging right um, to go from unlimited limits to some limit. Um, because we can't manage native and invasive fish the same. That's not scientific. It's not sustainable. And so it's a really, it's a really simple conservation target. Um, and you know, to just go from like unlimited harvest um, and to to promote these fish as a resource.
0: Yeah. So, what? Uh, why? Why would somebody want an unlimited harvest uh, on certain fish and not? I mean other than like say they are destructive. I mean what's the purpose?
1: It's honestly it's an accident of history. Um so the in Minnesota um we've been making some progress and like we just had the the no junk fish bill and that's uh, requiring a the DNR to, to have a report to to figure out how to separate these regulations of native and invasive fish. And it's going to take this report because this this law this phrase rough fish has been on the books in Minnesota since 1907. And in the beginning, it included, uh, yellow perch turtles, like all sorts of things. And so it's just been this catch all, right. And they, they, you know, things have come off the list over time. Somebody noticed that turtles are not a fish. Um, so they came off the rough fish list and then yellow perch, they decided we're a game fish. So they came off. And then a couple of years ago, um, they took uh, lake whitefish and eel pout and lake herring off because they were, you know, really become like big ice fishing targets. And I think that got helped get people thinking a little bit about, like, well, what is this? What is this list? Well, it's literally, it's just this catch all thing where there hasn't been enough time, effort, interest to actually reform this. But over the last hundred and almost 120 years now, this phrase has gotten worked into Minnesota's laws and statutes in so many different weird places that it's literally going to take probably a couple more years just to unwind all of this stuff. Like uh there are rules that allow that require culverts and bridges to allow passage of fish, right? Cuz we all know fish passage is a is a major detriment to to fish assemblages and to ecosystem health. Except that they put in there that it doesn't have to allow that if the stream only has rough fish or that it's designed if the structure is intended to block rough fish, which is something like that's actually intended. You know, when they wrote that, it was actually intended to, to be uh, allow for the stopping of common carp, which is an invasive species. But they just used that rough fish phrase because it was already in statute. And so we have to literally before we can do other you know, necessary changes and do promoting an actual conservation work. We just have to unwind this phrase from all these administrative rules and statutes um, where this phrase rough fish has been used indiscriminately. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> now we have these, you know, rules where, you know, there is no limit on common carp and big mouth Buffalo, but they don't say Buffalo. They just say Buffalo because they don't need you to think about the fact that there's three different species in Minnesota. Uh, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right. Which then gets like, it gets into a sort of, gets complicated when you realize actually, if you actually read the fine print of the fishing regulations, you have to go all the way to page 34 of the Minnesota fishing regulations to find out that one of those species of Buffalo is actually threatened. You're actually not allowed to harvest it at all.
0: Which but how sort would of you know that, right? Yeah. How would you know that?
1: Because on page twelve, it just says buffalo, and that kind of leads to the the problem, like this underlying problem of this this category. These fish, mainly suckers. There's 17 species of suckers in Minnesota, um, but then also your ancient fishes, your gar, your bowfin, um, freshwater drum, some of these oddball uh, species, mooneye, goldeye. Um, you've you've got all this diversity right and they they don't get any attention until somebody in like the non-game department the who's in charge of threatened you know conserving threatened species realizes that they're not showing up in surveys and so then they go from unlimited and unmanaged to protected Mm, yeah and now but it's like a It's from like animal house, like double secret protection, right? Where it's like they're protected, but nobody's told they're protected. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. So like double secret protected. They're on double secret probation. And so I see a shocking number of like of black buffalo in Minnesota, like on Instagram that have been, you know, killed. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Because nobody ever considered that they would even encounter a black buffalo if they even knew that it was a separate species or that it was a native species. And so you can't actually have, you know, the fine print on page 34 doesn't do you any good if people don't even know that there is a species there to protect. Yeah, Um, And so that's one of the insidious things about this rough fish idea is that it kind of, um, It it short circuits the normal stakeholder led conservation, uh, because you can't be a stakeholder for something you don't know exists. And if you only see this unlimited limit, you may get the wrong idea that they are literally unlimited. Well, if there's anything we've learned from history of fisheries management, it's that uh that's not true, right? If we can drive Atlantic salmon to the edge of extinction and yeah. we can deplete tuna in the ocean, um, uh-huh. we can certainly over harvest a buffalo. Um so that's that's like this insidious knock-on effect um where you have to like get you have to tell people that they exist. And then sometimes I have actually been in arguments with people to convince them that they are actually not a carp. Um, and then I have to like start saying scientific names uh, and, and be a real nerd and about it and, and kind of a jerk. And, you know, like that's not a great way to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if it's not actually a carp, then, then what are they? So let's, right. let so, kind of so, talk about that.
1: Yeah. So suckers are um, that's the, the family Catastomidae um and so there are at least 78 different species of suckers in the United States um and uh 78 species worldwide 77 of them are only found in are found in North America um and so and also because they're not haven't been a popular game fish they actually haven't been moved around um unlike bass or trout or something like that walleye are invasive out west or something like that uh nobody was Nobody was actually stocking black buffalo anywhere, uh, right? So they're, they're not invasive anywhere um, because you to be, to be invasive, you kind of have to be popular, at least temporarily. Somebody has to want you to move you. Um, so these fish, the the buffalo, the suckers, whatever, those are all just members of the family Catastomidae. They separated from the minnows, which is where the carp belong, 90 million years ago. That's the same time as bats and like... Mammals that became primates diverged. Um, so they're really not related at all. Um so, and then some of these other fish that are uh in these in these other fish categories or rough fish categories, um, can be even weirder than that. The the moon eye and gold eye, they diverged from all other types of fish 190 million years ago. That's the same time marsupials split from regular mammals. So barely even like Except for the fact they all have fins, right? It's like you, you wouldn't even put them in the same fish category except they're fish. Um, so there's a, just, there's a lot of diversity there. But the native ones, none of those native ones are carp. But they're often regulated and managed like they're carp. Okay. Um,
0: so like the moon which, eye and the gold eye, I don't even think, I've ever even seen such species. Or maybe I have. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know
1: you probably know uh, they're found throughout the Mississippi river drainage. Um, and so uh, we have both in Minnesota uh, and Wisconsin. I'm sure you've got them down there in, in Illinois too.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, yeah. They're warm water. They, they act a lot like a trout. They like really fast water. They feed on stuff that's drifting by. Um, they were the first fish I ever caught that I didn't know what it was. Um, I love fishing since I was a kid and I caught a, caught a moon eye and this, uh, bright silver, bright silver fish with this big eye jumped out of the muddy water. And I'd never seen anything like it. They're, they're incredibly flat, incredibly metallic, shiny, super big eye. They have teeth on their tongue.
0: They're bizarre. I've never seen one. I have I, never yeah. seen one. <laughs> yeah, they're right under your nose, probably, yeah. right? Um, Most of the carp, and I will admit, sometimes we do bowfish and we shoot carp. Not that many, and it's they're all the same species. I've never found yeah. any that are different. but.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, and that's um, the buffalo sometimes get lumped in. people will call buffalo carp, which is probably the worst thing to ever happen to buffalo. Um, and, you know, like, I'm not, and like... I'm not anti-harvesting. I hunt, I fish, I eat fish. Um, all I tell people is like, you can, you can harvest as many of these things as you want to eat. Right. Um, a good size Buffalo is going to feed your whole family more like, and your neighborhood, right. You know, a 20 pound fish. It's like, you really only need one. Um, if we would stick to that sort of rule, we probably wouldn't need other limits. Um, but that's not how regulations books work. <laughs> right. Right. Um, regulations books, the CO can't follow you home and, and see how many, you know, if you clear your plate. Um, and so we're going to need, we're going to need limits that convey the value of these native fish because they do more than just exist and feed people, which they do. Um, but going back to the moon eye and the goldeye, they are also the only hosts for a federally endangered mussel. That lives in the St. Croix River here between Minnesota and Wisconsin. Well, if you're going to protect this federally endangered species, you have to protect the host fish. Um, Minnesota doesn't protect the moon eye or the goldeye. period. Um, even in this place where it might have a threatened species attached to its gills or a federally endangered species attached to its gills. Um, the goldeye is threatened in the state of Wisconsin. So a Goldeye on the border between these two states can vacillate between being completely protected and being completely unprotected as it swims left and right across the river, (laughs) which just shows um, that when I'm talking about these fish going from completely unregulated to being protected, I'm, I'm not making this up. Um, I'm not going to lie. There are times when I lay awake in bed at night and go like, is this a, do I am I did I fall into like a conspiracy theory rabbit hole? Like, <laughs> I feel like that
0: about everything anymore, right? But,
1: <laughs> but then when I have those moments, I bring up the first fish commission report from the Minnesota Historical Society and I read what they said about these fish about you know being vermin of the waters and wanting to exterminate pickerel because they did nothing else but eat you know other fish and like you would it sounds like it sounds like I have this conspiracy theory that the man is trying to hide a whole bunch of, you know, warm water river fish from you, like moon eyes and gold eyes, except for the fact that they wrote it down and it's actually working. Cause you'd never seen one before. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's something that's actually happening.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen one. If I have, I wouldn't have known what it was. And, uh, you know, I I, actually, I hardly even see any Buffalo, Mm -hmm. which. Well, big mouth Buffalo decline after,
1: um, in historically and recently they've been in decline, um, facing, uh, after, especially with invasive species, um, they compete with silver and big head carp. And so researchers have, have recently demonstrated, uh, with a combination of surveys, um, pond, uh, before and after treatments and laboratory experiments, they've actually shown the mechanisms for how, why big mouth buffalo decline after silver carp invade. Um, so we have a fish here that is commercially important. Um, it's actually the main fish that drives the inland commercial fisheries on the Mississippi River. Um, so they are getting harvested and f- fed to people. Um, and they face existential threat from invasive species. and. To the best of my knowledge, most states have um, treated managed this uh, by continuing to allow completely unlimited harvest. Um, if you are really opposed to invasive species, you know well then you should want native species, right You should be building up you know your reserves of native species, knowing that they're going to face threats from invaders that compete with them. Um, to the best of my knowledge, no state has ever change the way they manage native species pre-invasion by big head or silver carp, which seems just insane, doesn't it? That you would see this, the like slow disaster coming and you would have a commercial industry that depended on these fish and your response would be to keep doing the same thing you've always done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it makes sense, right? (laughs) And (laughs) then,
1: and then the people who, you know, oftentimes people who harvest them, because they're rough fish and because the way the rough fish paradigm short circuits normal stakeholder-led conservation these fish are devalued so that then i end up having these conversations with people where they're saying well we're quote cleaning out the river or something and i'm like but no these fish are actually filter feeders they're doing the cleaning
0: yeah yeah so when you say <laughs> big head it uh is there like a distinction between like asian carp and big head and
1: so yeah, the silver carp and big head carp um, are the invasive carps, um, and so then big mouth buffalo is the sucker is the native sucker. Those are the ones that can live to be over a hundred years old. Okay. Um, so um I wanted to be specific in the silver carp though because the the paper that I was referencing, they specifically were talking about silver carp, so
0: yeah we um, we face a big threat uh, from the Asian carp. Mm-hmm. Here, yeah, no, those are
1: subtypes yeah. of the yeah. yeah. Those are both types of that
0: that category. So They actually kill people. They kill people mm-hmm. jumping out of the yep. water and hit them when they're driving a jet ski or boats or it, mm-hmm. it's pretty yep. common. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so now you've already got those invasive species have established and now your native fish ecosystem is depleted and you know, um unfortunately, you know, that's going to be hard to turn around. Um One of the principles of Native Fish for Tomorrow is the idea of conserving native or common species while they're common. Um, It's really, there's this repeated history in fisheries of things being depleted. And then uh, managers historically have been like, oh, well, we can bring them back. We'll bring them back with hatcheries or whatever, right? And it's like, that has never worked. (laughs) Right. There's a very few cases where, like sturgeon, where sturgeon were completely wiped out of an ecosystem and with intensive stocking 40 years later and no harvest and habitat restoration, you know, we now have some sturgeon. Um, But you can look at the billions of dollars that have been poured in the West Coast salmon and and things like that and realize you you never get that river so full of fish that you can walk across their backs again. Um, And so it's not enough to preserve a few of these fish like noah's ark you have to preserve enough of these fish that they can fulfill their ecosystem functions they transport nutrients upstream when they spawn they flip substrate when they feed this creates habitat for other animals right We Anyone who's fished a river or knows anything about uh, riverine ecosystems, embedded sediment, when silt fills in the rock spaces in a river, that's death. The bugs don't have a place to hide. Fish don't have a place to lay eggs. Guess what? What are suckers doing? They're down there on the bottom. They're moving those rocks when they feed. I can see this with my naked eye um, from bridges on the Mississippi, where they'll leave lines of rocks that have been exposed. That's improving the habitat. You don't need a few fish just to say that you save them. You need enough fish in this river that they can flip those rocks and and do that ecosystem function. Um, and so then people say, "Oh, well, there's so many of them." It's like, "Well, yeah, there's supposed to be so many of them, <laughs> right?" Yeah. There's supposed to be. There's supposed to be. Um, nobody when they when you hear the stories of salmon so think you could walk across their back, nobody ever says there were too many.
0: <laughs> right, right. Same thing with uh, herds of elk and deer throughout, right. you know, the Midwest and everything that now don't exist. You know, so mm-hmm. bison. No, and as that's well.
1: <laughs> one thing in Minnesota, and it, it's particularly true now that they took the lake whitefish off and the the eel pout lake herring off, um, off of the rough list. All the species that are left are uh, things that live in shallow water. Those are the ones. They wanted to, somebody proposed taking GAR off the list, and people flipped out. Lake Whitefish came up and, and got off the list and nobody cared. Um, it's the ones you can see. And there's a human instinct that's like, if you can see something, well then there's a lot of them, right? Oh. A blue ribbon trout stream, a blue ribbon trout stream might have 3,000 trout per mile, um, but nobody complains about that. Even if they are an invasive species, um, you got three thousand brown trout per per mile. Nobody cares that they're from Germany, um, <laughs> yeah. right? And so, this double standard between your native and invasive fish dates back to really like the first time I could find rough fish in statute was nineteen oh seven. But between then and nineteen twenties was really when this idea of the this divide came into being. And it was at a time when people had enough free time, prosperity, money uh, to travel to camp for recreation. And it was also when our cities got really big enough and water pollution got out of control. And so you're a rich person living in a city. The train advertised that they stocked trout at the end of the line. And you would buy a ticket. They would give free passage to the train cars that carried trout. You spent your hard-earned money, you took a vacation, and you fished for trout in a pristine place. You turn around and you look back home at the people who were still fishing for food because they weren't rich. And they were fishing in the pollution you'd left behind. <laughs> and then outdoor writers connected fish and class. So Atlantic salmon is the king. Trout is aristocracy. The bass, that's that's your uh, like like a, a blacksmith. That's your middle class. They're a brawler or fighter. They're not refined, though. Right. But that's <laughs> bass or a middle class fish. Catfish. That's a food fish for people who are poor. And if it's mouth points straight down, it's actually below a catfish. Like that's like maybe an immigrant would eat it if they had to.
0: The bottom, um, feeders, yeah. With the bottom, feeder. bottom feeders. Yeah. Bottom Bottom feeders. Yeah
1: right but they just mapped class onto fish and you know then it was like well man you do fish for suckers right like we still carry some of that baggage today where people use fish to sort of create identity for themselves um and that i think is why people always insist on telling you what kind of fishermen they are <laughs> and sometimes they brag about how far they travel uh <laughs> And uh I'm kind of flipping that. I, I I tell people I brag about how close to home I'm fishing. Um it's like I've I've been keeping track. I think uh I fished a little bit this afternoon. I think it was the fifty-fifth day I've been fishing this since open water. Oh, that's um, awesome. Because I'm fishing a mile from my house. Yeah. Um, I'm fishing for buffalo, I'm fishing for red horse, I'm fishing with my kids. Um, because if you do fish catch and release, uh it really doesn't matter how many bones are in it. Um, and if you're fishing for food, uh, then you can sustainably harvest uh, some red horse, a couple buffalo from most populations. Um, and if you want something bony or uh, bone less, if you want something bone less, just eat tofu. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you're going to eat meat, there's going to be bones in it. Um, so, you know, f- Plan on that and uh, use a food preparation that, that accounts for it. Yeah. Um, But people drive, you know, four hours to go fish for trout, they're going to let go anyway.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, that's like, like... <laughs> so that's the funniest thing because if you tell people that you ate a buffalo or a sucker or something like that, they'll turn their nose up at you and be like, why would you eat that? Mm-hmm. But then in that same breath, if you told them that you eat A largemouth bass or a (laughs) smallmouth bass, they look at you like you're a psychopath and a murderer and destroyed their, you know, amazing population. And it's like, what's the difference? Well, why is one life of a fish greater than another if you're consuming it?
1: And biologically speaking, you know, like an older fish, it's like, well, a big mouth buffalo is gonna take ten years to reach maturity and might live 127. (laughs) Um, right. And um I've had biologists in Minnesota tell me that they can't find a burk trout over four years old, that they, that's like they max out. Um, yeah. So it's like you eat, one guy said, you catch an 18 inch burk trout out of this particular stream. He's like, mount it. He's like, it's probably not going to live to spawn again. No. Um, right. Uh, smallmouth bass, maybe eight years. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, go, go for that. Um, you know, eat, eat those. But I mean, if you want, if you want to eat a buffalo, Most populations, you could harvest, you know, a buffalo. Some of the populations in northern Minnesota are getting depleted, um, which we're concerned about. Um, But in other places, you know, they're still allowing a limited commercial harvest. If you eat one buffalo and you tell people and you save somebody from throwing 10 buffalo on the bank, it's a net gain. Um, That's consumptive conservation, right? Nothing that people treat as a resource uh goes extinct right right um we treat pheasants as a resource we treat squirrels and deer as a resource we treat trees as a resource uh manage them as a resource we manage them for sustainability
0: um respectively i guess respectively though is the key to that because we have seen you know utilized as a resource i mean the beaver for instance was utilized as a resource however they yeah, didn't that respect wasn't it. <laughs> that
1: maybe wasn't managed as yeah. much as it was just all out harvest but <laughs> yeah. but if we if we treat something as a you know if we treat something as a resource as something that we want sustainably, right? And we're invested in it, that's stakeholder led conservation. That's why we have deer and turkeys and elk, you know, and beavers and you know, like these this system works. Um but for that system to work, we need people to go out and um fish for them, eat a couple, maybe share them with friends um you know that's that's the uh that's the beauty of it. It's like, well, they are out there, you know, and I don't have to drive you know I don't have to drive four hours um I can be out catching um uh, red horse that are close to 10 pounds and I don't even have to, you know, stand in an icy stream elbow to elbow with a bunch of people.
0: Yeah. I think honestly, some of my favorite fishing and over the years, it's become even, you know, a bigger part of what I do is uh, a small stretch of the river that my buddy lives on utilizing. Mm-hmm. I can just go right, you know, launch from his backyard and uh, just jugging for catfish. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that that has quickly become yeah. one of my all-time favorite types of fishing to do and it's just yeah. fun it's fun Ch- yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: it's like chasing tip-ups in open water yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you know what i do is i uh I, I fish with my kids a lot um they always want to go but you know once again it's a simple fishing like we go to the mississippi river and it's fork sticks uh it's worms and you know, uh, especially if we have friends along, uh, we just take turns, just round Robin, like whose turn is it? Right. You have four or five lines out, you usually getting a bite, you know, every couple of minutes. And then, you know, some, one kid's got the net and kid kids got to reel it up. Um, you know, sometimes I even get a turn. Um, <laughs> but, but, but everyone, you know, I get partial credit for every fish that's caught. So, um, <laughs> but then what we're, you know, we're catching small, red horse uh shorthead red horse are one of the smaller species that's what's most abundant where we fish this the you know they average 14 to 16 17 inches with like trophy class ones being 19 to 21 mm-hmm. um and i compare notes with people and they're like yeah they you know they they were out on some popular river where they had to buy an extra tag to get fish that were that size or you know 14 inches or smaller um And I'm like, well, you could come with me, (laughs) you know, you don't have to work as hard. Uh, You have to slow down though. I think that's a little bit hard for, for American fishermen to, uh, to do because uh, we have so much space. It's really easy to get this idea that like, well, you can just go down the bank and, you know, if it doesn't bite my favorite lure, then, you know, the next fish will. Um, And so you, you've got space. Well, Um, a lot of these fish would be game fish, except the fact they don't bite lures. Um, if the bit lures, then there'd be a market for selling gear to, to people for them. Um, but most of these fish bite worms. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing to buy. Uh, maybe some number eight circle hooks.
0: Um, (laughs) see, that's not alluring to anybody. Nobody wants to bring the attention to that because they can't make money (laughs) off of it though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, that's where it's at.
1: Yeah, I'm never gonna get. Uh, I'm not gonna get sponsored on my my Instagram. I'm never gonna be a, a big time influencer because there's no uh, there's there's no industry for for that. I'm not gonna sell so many number eight circle hooks that right. uh, Giga is gonna call me up and give me. I, I wouldn't even take a boat. I, like <laughs> I, I can't I can't catch suckers from a rocking boat. I got to be able to see my rod tip tap. Um, it's like. So yeah, I, I love the the joke. I was like that I'm on the fork stick pro staff. It's nice. like you cut your own you cut your own fork stick. Maybe get it out of buckthorn, like take out an invasive species. You um, you know, dig up some nightcrawlers. Maybe also an invasive species where you are. Um, you know, like you make your own sinkers and go down to uh, a river that's too warm for trout, but has a nice rocky bottom, and uh, look for a spot with some current breaks and some rocks, and uh, catch a sucker.
0: Nice. Um, so, so one thing I learned, and maybe you could use this, but uh, black walnut hulls in a bucket of water, like a oh. five-gallon bucket with a bunch of them, stirred up real good with a stick to where they start coming off of it and start staining the water with the tannins. If you dump that on the ground, you don't have to dig for nightcrawlers. Oh. They all surface. I'm not going to lie to you, though. Um, <laughs> I've
1: bought like 24 dozen nightcrawlers so far this year. Um, so I, I can't actually dig or harvest enough in my own yard to keep up. I'm,
0: you'd probably get a few dozen though in one. It's it's amazing how many come out of the ground. And, uh, I guess it's because the black walnut is actually an anti-parasitic slash dewormer and it's actually forcing those worms to come up out of the ground. You know, I do have, I do know where, (laughs) I
1: do know where there are some black walnut trees. So I may... That's, uh, but yeah, I go through, I like to take people fishing. And, uh, when you're, when you're putting out four to six rods at a time with you and your friends, you go through a lot of worms. So, um, but yeah, go down, go down the river and, and, and you gotta, you gotta slow down. Um, these fish don't, don't chase their food like a bass does or trout does. They, so you can't, you can't just work over a spot, you know, in a minute and then, you know, move on to the next spot. You gotta, you have to slow down. That's great if especially if you're fishing with with kids, because um, you don't have to worry about going anywhere. You can bring the minnow nets, you can bring the buckets, and you can bring a lawn chair and you know and still catch fish, because when you find that spot, there's probably going to be a good number of fish there if you find if you find a good habitat, good riffle with a lot of bugs on the rocks, you should you should be able to fish there for hours and not get bored. Um you don't have to cover the whole river looking just for the aggressive fish. So um yeah, and I I want everyone to go out. I figure if everyone's fishing somewhere in their their backyard, somewhere close to home, then every every backyard will have a steward, have a stakeholder in it. Um who will and you'll care, you know, about pollution in your watershed if you're going to eat fish out of that watershed, if we only aspire to protecting those spots that were prioritized by the trains, right. Yeah. By like the, that, that, that idea that nature's far away, we're missing a lot of stuff that's really close right under our nose.
0: Yeah. So where do you typically uh, like, what is the habitat you're looking for when you are fishing? Um, Rocks. Then, okay.
1: Yeah. Like you're looking for, Generally speaking, like you're going to find your best stuff, um, faster current where you're going to, where you're getting the, the silt and the sediment swept off those rocks. So you have that nice clean cobble. Now we all know you want to fish current breaks, right? You find your, your predatory species, like right on that current break, right? They want to ambush and you find your catfish and your freshwater drum, like in the slow water of that eddy, um, they are. Those are the fish that are real lazy. They're waiting for the river to deliver a meal right to them. A lot of the sucker species you find in really fast water. Like I didn't catch a lot of suckers until I started fishing on the outside of the break um, and really working like that faster current where you think, oh, there's nothing going to be out there because they're going to have to work so hard to stay in the current. Well, that's also where the food is in a river. That's where the bugs are living on their rocks. And so, like... I don't get out of bed for less than a half an ounce sinker. Um, <laughs> like, and I carry like half ounce, ounce, an ounce and a half. Um, I run 15 pound braid line that gives me a thinner diameter so I can use less weight to hold. And I'm still using an ounce um, just day to day. Um, so the mistake I see people make is using like split shot, like or smaller sinkers. Um, and if you're if you're fishing in that like in that eddy at that like point where the the water's still with a couple split shots, you're gonna get freshwater drum. They're a pretty cool fish, um, good to eat. Um, they eat a lot of zebra mussels though, so I usually let let them go to keep eating zebra mussels. Uh, you'll get your catfish. Um, but if you you really will target that fast, those current breaks, riffly areas with those with those rocky bottoms where you're like afraid of getting snagged slinky sinkers one ounce pencil sinkers put it out there don't move it if you move it like you're just gonna move it until you find a snag so like put it out there make sure you can feel the bottom when it taps and then just wait for a sucker to come find that
0: really so So how long do you leave like the sinker from the line do you give it like a foot or Foot
1: to two feet okay you know if you're your worms getting like picked off and you're not noticing bites, your leaders are probably a little too long. Okay. Um, and if it's, uh, you're not getting bites at all, maybe it's a little too short. Um, but around a foot's pretty good. If I'm sight fishing, I maybe we'll go a little bit longer. Cause I, I want, don't want the fish to see the sinker moving with the worm. Um, but for, you know, putting a red horse on the bank, for putting short heads on the bank to go into fish sticks, you know, Sitting on the bank of the Mississippi with a fork stick and letting the kids catch minnows and crayfish. and
2: Yeah. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one.
3: To get fifty percent off. So
0: yeah, yeah. One of the things you mentioned kind of about habitat, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with like the Greater Kankakee Marsh or know anything about that. Um, No, I don't. So it was like this wonderful stretch of the Kankakee River that went from Indiana to Illinois, and Mm -hmm. they came to an agreement that they were going to clear cut a bunch of it. And it had all these backwaters and sloughs and backflows and just really Mm -hmm. cool habitat with really mature timber on it. And they had an agreement that they were going to clear-cut it and use it for transportation of goods between the two states. Mm
3: -hmm. So they
0: both started clear-cutting a large section of it and straightening the river out Mm -hmm. instead of having all those curves and flows. And um, Indiana pretty much did... Clear cut it all the way to the Illinois border, and the last second they backed Illinois backed out of the deal. So there's mm-hmm. a small section of that marsh that's still preserved at the wetland section right on the Indiana Illinois border today. Cool. What sucks, <laughs> and I do mean sucks, is how you talked about the silt and sediment mm-hmm. filling it in. Well, Indiana started to do a good job, but all the residual that came by. Is all piling up on the, all these curves of this river and creating mm-hmm. a huge problem. And yeah. uh, so I think maybe that's partially why some of these fish that I am not familiar with, I do not see mm-hmm. because they don't exist in that yeah. area because they can't survive.
1: No, and it's um, that's one of the things, and it's like, it's another conservation is communication challenge we have with native fish conservation right particularly like we're talking about these fish that have a history of being maligned um because they don't bite lures because they're associated with warm water which in warm water rivers are associated with urban pollution and you know people who would you know um can't afford you know to to buy fish at the grocery store and so um But so you have that issue and then you have the diversity issue where you have to be like, you have to explain that there's, you know, in Minnesota alone, there's 26 species that are on this list. Wisconsin's got their own list. And, you know, you've got to explain that some of these fish are legitimately threatened and you cannot eat one. And then the other ones are, you know, abundant. You can eat them. And then the third problem communicating them is that oftentimes they're locally abundant and then m- completely missing from other places. And so like the mul- moon eye and gold eye might be high- like very abundant in another watershed. And the people over there are like, oh yeah, we use them for catfish bait. Oh, we can't keep them off, you know, your lines. <laughs> and then th- that leads to this idea that they're just abundant everywhere. Minnesota did a-, a study where they looked at fish distributions above and below dams to see how dams were impacting fish distributions. And they found freshwater drum, which is a fish that I, at one point, was like, I'm so tired of catching freshwater drum, right? Freshwater drum in Minnesota were missing above 60% of the dams that they looked at. That's 60% of their possible range. Like, they're missing from, but then when you do find them, you usually find 100 right?
0: <laughs> They've got nowhere else to go. <laughs> <That's> right.
1: A- <laughs> and then the problem is then people are like, well, I hate freshwater drum, which is completely unfair. I mentioned before they're cool fish. They're delicious. They taste like they're saltwater cousins. They're related to redfish in, uh, on the Gulf, right? Everybody loves to eat redfish. Um, freshwater drum are the freshwater version of that. They eat zebra mussels. Over half their diet can be zebra mussels where they're abundant. So that's like an awesome thing. Nobody likes zebra mussels. They are also host to 11 species of native mussels. So they're a native mussels best friend. And native mussels are the most endangered group of animals in the country. And they, freshwater drum can live to be 75 years old. So they're this great resource. And because they're hyper abundant in some places, they get a bad rap. <laughs> yeah. That's... And then you're trying to ex- explain, well, actually, we need to. You know, if we could do some dam removals, we would. We actually want freshwater drum in more places.
0: Yeah, I mean that's kind of common. When you tell people you eat catfish, they kind of even look at you. Unless it's like, oh, well, you know, where'd you get it? Was it uh, you know farm raised somewhere? Where mm-hmm. it was? And it's like, no, it's a river cat. And and people mm-hmm. like, Did you eat river cats. Like they're yeah. looking down upon you for eating a river cat and it's like That's gotta be like, a Midwest
1: you, thing. Yeah, I don't, like
0: I don't get it. And I mean to me, I love a big chunk of white catfish yeah. meat. Yeah.
1: It wasn't that long ago I actually kept actually kept a catfish was the first time I'd ever actually eaten one as a Minnesotan. Um Really? Yeah, like I mean may I grew, we ate bullheads um from southern I was from southern Minnesota. We ate a few bullheads. Um but I was in this <laughs> I was in this, you know, sort of awkward situation where I was actually keeping um, Red Horse for a fish fry and I caught a catfish. and I'm about to let it go. And then I was like, <laughs> I don't have dinner plans for tonight. This fish fry is for tomorrow. <laughs> and I was right. like, well, I should probably eat this catfish. But, you know, like I was for me now, uh, you know, I eat, I eat more Red Horse than I eat anything else.
0: That's interesting. I, I don't think, I, honestly, I don't even know if I've even seen a red horse or not.
1: So yeah, in Minnesota, we have six different species of, of red horse in nationally. There's 27 species. Um, and they're a fascinating, it's a fascinating group of suckers. Um, and some of them have these amazing stories. Um, the robust red, uh, red horse, was thought to be extinct until it was rediscovered. So it was missing for a hundred years. That's how rare they are. Um, there's one in Canada called the copper red horse that's endangered in Canada. It's only found in a few rivers. Um, the Sicklefin red horse, uh, I believe it's from Tennessee. That one actually hasn't been described as a species yet. Um, yeah, they, they, I believe they're working on the scientific description of it. Um, and that one, uh, they called it uh there was a fantastic podcast from the US Fish and Wildlife Service they did about it and they interviewed people they're talking about these were salmon of the Appalachians like these fish migrate upstream and indigenous people first nations people would harvest them in the springtime like when they were available that's you know it's almost like we forgot that there was a time when fish was just food and didn't have any other baggage associated with it right like there was a time when you ate what you could catch. Um in Minnesota, uh one of our counties is called Candy Ohi County. There's a bottle of water that has the same name, has this beautiful flow to it. Candy Ohi. Sounds magical. That is the Lakota Dakota word for the place where the buffalo fish come. Nice. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> that was the name of the headwaters of the Crow River. And so but you know, we have forgotten this that this was like You know, this was just a seasonal resource like this is where they come to spawn. Um, This is a region that's important. Uh, So then there's Buffalo Lake in Minnesota. That's named for the fish. The town of Buffalo in Minnesota named for the fish through the lake. Um, And yet and now because of the the bison, you know, um, before I can have a conversation with people about conserving big mouth buffalo in minnesota or buffalo fish in general i have to convince them it's a fish right. <laughs> i have to it's like i'm not even on the conservation field yet when uh people think that uh if i'm fishing for buffalo i'm joking Um uh, like no i'm legit fishing for buffalo in it, it's a fish um, if you
0: told me you're carp fishing they'd be like oh, oh okay That's yeah
1: fair. then they wouldn't talk to me
0: yeah. <laughs> so but no, the, like the red horse that you talk about that is it pretty much just like uh the the fins are different color like what distinguishes that from from every other sucker
1: yeah so the red horse group they they have really metallic scales it's probably actually the thing that you notice first when you if you see a red horse in the water versus like a white sucker mm-hmm. um so like and this is the sucker group is incredibly diverse. Um, if you're a species chaser or you just appreciate native ecosystems, um, I do a lot of fishing like people do bird watching, um, which it does is always funny because when I tell people that I'm trying to catch a river red horse and it's a fish I can't even eat um, because they are threatened, and they say, Why? And then I'm like, Why do you look at eagles? Like, you can't eat those either. <laughs> <laughs> well you could
0: <laughs> i mean legally <laughs> right
1: right um the so the red horse group they have very metallic scales they're all very shiny um and but some of them have red tails some of them have silver tails this causes lots of confusion with people um because then they're like well it's not a red horse because it doesn't have a red tail and they're like actually half of them don't um A field guide um, is I like the Peterson's field guide. Um, There's others as well. A field guide is a great resource for this. Um, Minnesota alone has 165 species of fish. 143 of them are native. Um, I know Wisconsin, and Illinois have even more. Um, So a good rule of thumb though, is if you catch something and you don't recognize it, um, you probably shouldn't eat it. Um, Correct. You know, but you can familiarize yourself. Um, I'm going to plug also moxistoma.com um, is a great resource. They have uh, ID sheets. Um, I believe that's based in Illinois. Um, they have an ID cheat sheet that you can fold up inside your wallet. And it gives you um, every all the characteristics you need to tell the common red horse apart. Um, and so if you catch a sucker and you, it's got bigger scales than you, the typical sucker, and they're metallic and iridescent, probably a red, a red horse and then you want to know which kind before you uh before you eat it um I recommend eating the short head red horse and the golden red horse those ones uh are apparently shorter lived um so they're more sustainable to harvest
0: interesting so speaking of harvesting and stuff like that what are you doing when you catch these fish I mean how are you cooking them what what's that look like
1: so my family's favorite thing is homemade fish sticks um so I kill 'em. Um I catch one. I bleed it. Um put it on ice right away. What's the importance uh, of
0: bleeding them? I...
1: you know, I don't like um I don't like my fish soaking in a hot river. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so I want them cool down, I want to kill them humanely. Um, so I I bleed them and I put them on ice. Um, and then I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna fillet them out right away. Um and so Uh, And then if you're going to make fish sticks or fish patties or you're going to grind them, um, you just fillet them just like you would a walleye. Um, You know, go go over your ribs, skin them. You're not going to worry about any pin bones or Y bones. Um, Then I run them through the meat grinder. I just use a hand crank meat grinder. I don't want to dig out my half horsepower, you know, or whatever. Um, I'm just, you know, doing a batch of fish sticks. I just use a hand crank meat grinder. I use the roughfish.com fish patty recipe. It's uh, some, you know, two cups of fish, half a cup of saltines, an egg, tablespoon of mayonnaise, two teaspoons of Old Bay seasoning, a little parsley. Um, Mix it up. At that point, you can make a patty. We have a sucker burger. Um, You can make a ball, deep fry it, and make a sucker ball. But um, if you're trying to impress people, maybe like elevate it a little bit. Put the sausage stuffing attachment back on your meat grinder. Run the mix through again and make it into a stick. Roll it in panko breadcrumbs. You're gonna fry this for three minutes. Not more because then you don't want it to dry out. You know, if you feel like you're reaching for the tartar sauce, it's overdone. It's dry. <laughs> like you you want it, you want it still moist in the middle um not to say that a little yum yum sauce isn't you know isn't good but um maybe a squeeze of lemon and it'll be the best fish
0: sticks you ever had um like you're not worried at all about the bones at that point because you put them through the meat grinder or what the yeah
1: you just grind them once okay you only need to grind them once um i only go through again because that's how i get them through the sausage stuffing attachment
0: Okay. Um, Now I've got a buddy that he takes them and pressure cans them, and he says the bones basically dissolve in the pressure canning.
1: Yep. You, yeah, pickle them, can them, ceviche. Um, you know, basically just have some sort of some some way to deal with the bones. Um, if you're doing a lot and you're doing a fish fry, you can take the like the bellies off. Um, like the bottom half of like the front of the fillet is boneless, and so. Uh, we did a big fish fry get together this spring and we took the bellies off and, and fried those separate and then made fish cakes out of the rest of them. Um, but we were feeding like 50 people or something. So um, but yeah, just you go through the grinder once. There you go. I mean, that's your like a salmon burger or a fish stick. If you're like, if you're hard up, right, you can't catch suckers. Um, you can always do it with pike, like. Interesting. Like, yeah. yeah, Uh So yeah, in the winter we we just take uh take our hammer handled pike and we make
0: fish sticks. But so you don't just pickle them, like that's the only way I ever see people do it is just pickled pike. It's like uh, that's <laughs> it requires at all. a lot of.
1: If I could have pickled pike in a couple days, or I could have fish sticks now. <laughs> I'd take the fish sticks for sure. <laughs> yeah, just to make,
0: yeah. make the fish sticks.
1: So. But yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing. Um and honestly the uh the red horse meat is is white. Um I I've fed uh fish sticks to people on camera. Uh I fed red horse to people uh to Joe Sermelli on, on his uh former meat eater show um and yeah, everybody's like this tastes like a white fish and I'm like it, yeah, that's cuz it is a white it's a white meat fish.
0: <laughs> it's just considered trash. But
1: yeah, yeah. It like right. It like it eats off the bottom, like everything else in the river, too, yeah, um one of my favorite photos of all time is a is a brown trout that his mouth is full of red horse eggs, um and the trout was caught on a worm on the bottom um and so you have a
2: <laughs> so
1: what do you have there? You've got a bottom feeding German fish that's eating the eggs of a native species, and it's like. That's literally everything suckers are accused of, right? Like in one photo.
0: (laughs) So um, one of the things I I thought of was like, um, you talked about doing them that way. And I've had carp, don't even know what kind, Mm -hmm. but they brined it and smoked it. And it It wasn't that good. Yeah. That just doesn't seem like a good way to do it. (laughs) And
1: carp is a very, I think is an oilier meat and a redder meat um
0: yeah it was it looked like a can of tuna that you would open up right but
1: tasted way worse (laughs) yeah and suckers are just not like that at all there there's a, a lot of white meat on on every sucker i've ever cleaned um like they all like and now like i also i don't know i donate the the Ah, uh, the heads to Alec Blackman, the scientist who who's done so much of the aging research. That's discovered big mouth buffalo can live to be over a hundred years old. So I'll keep I'll keep fish, um, never more than I'm gonna eat. Um, uh, but I keep fish and then like donate the the heads to him. And because eating red horses, you know, um, both for science and my family loves fish sticks. And then it's also, uh, it's a consumptive conservation action. Um, cause <laughs> then so when people say you can't eat those, I can say I just did. Um, and so I've cleaned quite a few, quite a few of them. We, I think have we've made fish sticks at least three or four times so far this year. Um, and yeah, they're all of them. Shorthead, silver red horse, golden red horse, white suckers. Um yeah, actually there was in a was in a Minnesota paper this uh, spring we uh, photographed with a stringer of a stringer of suckers and the, the author uh the author took home uh suckers and made uh made sucker patties himself for the for the article. So um
0: yeah, that's so do you um, ever do you ever cook them any other way? Have you ever tried to take them and like uh, shallow fry them or anything? I've like also that?
1: had them. I've also had them. Uh, there's a trick. The you can also cross hatch them. Um, you want to make cuts really close together, and then like your buddy was saying with the the uh, pressure cooking, um, dealing with bones, you want to get your cuts close enough together. Enroll them in a little bit of you know cornmeal, or I like wonder flour for a little fish breading. Um, gives it like a, almost a tempura, um, sort of crispiness of uh batter, but the thinness of breading with the wonder flour. Um, fry them hot in oil. You kind of cross hatch on both sides, and that'll soften those bones. Um, so if you don't want to get out the meat grinder, um, right. but yeah, that's I get more requests for fish sticks. So
0: I like them. Um, a- yeah. Maybe I'll have to try yeah, I, it. maybe I'll have to go find some some somewhere, but
1: well yeah. hey, and if you do, here's here's the other thing too, right? It's because then sometimes people will, you know, uh maybe give me a little flack about like, well, I'm only catching suckers or something. And it's like I can catch, you know, whatever. Like I go I do lake trout in the in the spring, I go to the boundary waters and do a wilderness lake trout trip. Uh I catch bass if nobody's looking um you know <laughs> i catch pike in the winter um but the fish that are really keep me interested like keep me coming back as an angler are these these fish that don't chase lures right like these are fish that you need to have a fine presentation to because they're not motivated to go chase something down right um, you've got to drop it right on their nose because there's a lot of other bugs for them to eat in the river. Right. Yeah. Um, they're not waiting for one meal a day that you're going to, you know, trick them into to having. Um, and so like, those are the fish actually that I find the most interesting as an angler. Um, you got to slow down. You got to have be finesse. You got to be like on your game a little bit. Um, you got to be in the right spot or you're going to wait a long time for your, for a sucker to, to do it. So, so I encourage everyone to go out and like give these fish a little bit of a a fresh look as an angling challenge as well. And you might actually be like surprised. Like um, I've, I get messages on Instagram when somebody gets a, a red horse or a sucker on the fly rod, you know, and it's like, that's a great accomplishment. And they'll tell me, you know, they're like, I got however many trout today. I've got however many whatever I got a sucker
0: <laughs> right so so how are they catching them on the fly then like what what's the practice there what what are they doing that that actually appeals um, to them that they can get it in front of them
1: if you're very like if you have perfect conditions and you can see like they will turn to look at something they will like be visually curious they have a lot of taste buds on their lips and um so they expect their food to taste good so most of the time they won't take a fly um sometimes they're aggressive and you get lucky um and they'll turn and take it and like hit something that's like has to be going pretty slow on the bottom um you probably have to be able to see their reaction to know that they're doing it um but i think it speaks to the fact that these fish are actually challenging to catch. They're actually fun to target because you can't catch every one. Um, you yeah. know, like that's, you know, it's like I use worms because I wouldn't catch any if I didn't. Yeah. Um, some fish take finesse, some t- fish take some bait, and some fish take both. Yeah. Um,
0: now it makes me like, wonder. <laughs> I don't have, so I have a creek in my backyard. Um, mm-hmm. It's It's always got, water in it flowing it's i mean yeah. it's low now while well, it was low because we were in a pretty serious drought but i've never seen any in there but then again i've never looked for them and chances are they're in the deeper edge of the faster mm-hmm. moving water so that's probably also, why i've never seen them
1: <laughs> could also be very seasonal so like in the springtime water's usually a little muddier and higher and harder to see right yep that's all one thing all different suckers have in common is they all migrate, uh, which makes them more susceptible to dams as far as like um, habitat degradation and impacting their populations. Um, but some of these native suckers, like the blue sucker, can migrate 300 miles. Holy
0: cow. That's right, impressive.
1: So even uh, even I know personally from fishing one river over the course of a summer... Uh, a wadeable river that they're like silver red horse there in the spring and they're gone in the summer all the way out right that's a 10 mile stretch so your little stream in your backyard might have suckers for the spawning season right away in the spring you might have 2 weeks or something like that where you've got the best sucker fishing right in your backyard but those same fish even you know a a short migrating species they might be going back 5 10 miles back to a larger river for the rest of the summer and then the winter and then they're yeah. going to migrate all the way back up from those wintering deep holes out on the main or main river a larger river and might migrate back all the way up to your to your backyard to spawn when the water's high and you're not even don't even know, you know it. even know yeah
0: yeah because yeah. you never put a worm in there when the water was high and muddy honestly never have honestly yeah. never have and uh you know i don't fish it enough to be honest i should water out there more than I do and it's crazy that saying, I'll travel every backyard 10 minutes 10 minutes to go fish on the river versus the creek that's in my backyard
1: yeah if you can't see the bottom there's definitely a chance that there's a sucker in there um, <laughs> and if you can see the bottom look very carefully for a sucker because like some of the species uh hog suckers and uh I think it's northern hog suckers there they they'll sit on rocks and their head is almost shaped like a rock and they're black and brown they're colored like a rock and they'll let you almost trip over them before they move no um <laughs> they're the probably the strangest looking fish their their forehead is a little bit concave and you look at them and you realize they have kind of the same shape of like an f1 race car where they're uh, intended to have like downforce so they can sit in that fast water and it just pushes them onto the bottom and they don't have to expend any energy to move
0: nice <laughs> yeah.
1: And then they look like a rock sitting still there. And I don't know. I fished for one of those for like a couple of years. I couldn't figure out why like why I couldn't catch one. And then it's like, oh, I have to fish the raging torrent over there.
0: (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. First time I ever saw a catfish in there was uh, just recently. So it was like two weeks ago. The water was lower. So, you know, some of the pools were a little bit Mm -hmm. shallower and... Probably a four-pound cat in there, so there's got to be some.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, I I bet there's, I bet there's a sucker of some different kind in there. Like, see,
0: now I need to go print out a sheet, try and catch one, ID it, and see what the heck it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, and then like, and then you're gonna be like, uh, realizing that you know there's a window to it, you know, and like there's a seasonality to it, and then you start getting tuned into, you know, there's a whole phenology to it, and like I had a friend we would fish. Together but then like uh, she was bigger Into mushrooms and so like I'd lose Her as soon as the morels started coming Up then the fishing was good and then She like she wouldn't join me anymore because like The mushrooms are
0: you know what Um, to me The morels are almost like a trash fish No I'm just kidding but um, These days every well I Shouldn't say that they're like Something but I don't care about them anymore Because everybody wants to go out after Them there's so much competition and there's So many other ones out there that now yeah. fascinate me because i can't find them they elude me and i want to go after them so i i have to tell
1: you that does put you at risk for becoming a sucker angler
0: <laughs> i'm a sucker for suckers then yeah you you may
1: that that's definitely a risk factor that sounds like something i've said i'm like i'm so tired of catching all these bass i think yeah we're, we're fishing behind the seventh person who's who's out after bass and now but hey, what do you know? There's a whole bunch of suckers here that won't bite.
0: Yeah. So let's get 'em.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's figure this one out. So
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So Tyler, it's been awesome talking to you. Uh, I appreciate you truly coming on and and uh sharing your knowledge for this episode. And Oh man,
1: uh, we just scratched the surface. Yeah. I mean,
0: <laughs> we'll have to probably have you back on and we'll go into further detail if uh
1: I'm dying to know what's in your backyard, though. Like, that's, yeah. you have a creek in your backyard and you have, a, oh man. Like, that's... I really
0: fish it. I took out the fly rod for the first time in the creek last year and I thought it was mm-hmm. so cool. I caught a little, uh, a little tiny smallmouth the size of like a dollar bill
2: mm-hmm. and on,
0: on like a four weight rod, I think. And it's just, it was awesome. Yeah. So.
1: No, like, that's the um, one of my favorite places to fish, though. Um, and it's for River Red Horse. I, they're threatened species. I had to get a permit just to be able to catch and release them. And it's a great bass fishery. It's a great, you know, like it's a great bass fishery, but the red horse get to be 28 inches long.
0: The smallies don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> and like, awesome. Yeah. Um.
1: And you, you catch so many smallies when you're sucker fishing. So yeah, try the same thing, but put a worm on your fly rod. I'm telling you, like that's... That's like That's black, black magic, right there. Really? Let me tell okay. you.
0: Okay. All right. So then you have to utilize a sinker, though, right, on um, the fly rod. If you if you fish like a center pin, but you know,
1: or just you know, spinning rod. Um, I have definitely caught buffalo uh, using a of a, a worm instead of a fly. Um, feels pretty dark, pretty transgressive. But uh, <laughs> if you if you start just fishing worms, though, you know, in a smallmouth creek like that, you're going to be catching. Every You're day. going to be catching so many smallmouth, and you'll also catch other things. Like that's the, that's the fun part about it. And that's why one of the things about it's great about fish in the river is you, you set the hook and you literally never know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So if people want to find you, get more information, uh, look up the nonprofit, try and maybe help out or do something. Where can they find all that stuff?
1: Uh, we have a great website, native for Um, the, our nonprofit is also on Instagram, Native Fish. The number four for tomorrow, Native Fish for tomorrow. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Buffalo underscore Catcher. Uh, that's a great place to to follow me, find me. I love to answer questions about sucker fishing, and I also bowfin and gar and Munai and freshwater drum and all of that. Um, I appreciate it uh, as a person who grew up um, loving all sorts of other fish. And um getting a lot of flack for that. Um <laughs> and <laughs> pushing back on this idea of junk fish. Um it the outpouring and support of being invited on a podcast like this, um and making the progress of the no junk fish bill in Minnesota and stuff like that, it never stops being super meaningful to me. Um every little, every little bit of support, uh honestly. I feel like it means 10 times much more to me because um, we started from zero. Um, and so uh, it's, it really helps. Um, the, the, the thing is too, is to motivate, to motivate managers and to motivate legislators and um, everybody involved in this process. It literally, what we need is public attention. Yeah. Um, and so it's I mean, maybe sounds corny or whatever, but like likes, comments i mean like that that literally does that's where we're at now where name recognition and public support makes a difference for these things cuz then i can go to meetings and i can say these you know everyone wants this to happen
0: you know yeah. these people support this no i think that's great and the fact that uh you're you're pushing for that and honestly that that mindset overflows into everything. And I don't know how all these things have gotten such a stigma that they have. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to think that somehow some way it got lost when they were all connected to us, whether it was the fish or even plants. I mean, you look at like mm-hmm. milkweed or, or even lamb's quarter that grows everywhere. Is yep way more nutritious than any type of spinach you could possibly buy in the store. Yeah. It's free and abundant everywhere, especially in your garden. Yep. And people yeah. are like, Oh, it's a weed. You got to spray it. Why? <laughs> we should have, we should have opened with that. Yeah. That's the whole thing, right? <laughs> like
1: if you understand that weeds aren't weeds, then you understand that trash fish aren't trash fish. Right. Yes. Cause it's like the same mentality of replacing a native thing with something that someone a hundred years ago said was better, right? Like pull this lamb's quarter because you're planting spinach. And it's like, yep. and you know that that's a backwards way to do it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Same thing applies to fish. That's where we should have started.
0: <laughs> well, we're here now. And then, uh, I think we that's got like, there. I think that's a great conclusion though. I, I mean, really what better way to wrap it up because it's true. I mean, we just need to bring attention to other people and hopefully this does that. So,
1: right. Uh, native ecosystems are superior to invasive ones Absolutely. if it's terrestrial or
0: aquatic yep 100% <laughs> it's been awesome there you go. talking to you have a wonderful night it man it's <laughs> my pleasure and once again thank you so much for listening to the publicly challenged podcast I hope you enjoyed the show and if you did please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show.